Join us as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. this very day all right so jonathan mark and i are up to no good we're here to tackle the career of christopher walken yeah and no one's ever seen him jeff goldblum and william shatner in the same room at the same time with their very pausing dramatically speeches uh, Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I would have thought I've seen every fucking movie by him but I have not <laughs> I, I can't keep up with him I'm, I gotta confess um, what I do find interesting is how he's sort of he's basically just had recurring just actors and co-stars I just said the same fucking thing twice but uh, just uh, even just recurring filmmakers and studios mm-hmm. that he works a lot with and not really even surprised by that. Uh, where do you rank him in the actors who seem to appear? The Sam Jacksons and Michael Caines and Danny Trejo's of the world. <laughs> well, I mean, he's up there. I mean, regardless to the movie, usually he's sometimes the best part of those movies. It depends. Sometimes he just can't redeem it, but it definitely takes a while for you to just kind of say, you know what, <laughs> you know, uh, that movie was just kind of all the better because he was in it. <laughs> Sometimes he's the only good thing in that one certain movie. And trust me, I know. I, I know. Yeah, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, briefly, it just he, he definitely is in one of the weakest James Bond movies and he just makes it all the more watchable by being in it just because he's for whatever reason just has your attention um it is interesting how he some of just obscure movies that he's done internationally have been become renowned just because uh you know they in those cheap you know five dollar you know two dvd packs yeah. <laughs> I mean, for God's sakes, he's in a different version of Puss in Boots. I'm like, for God's sakes, that was like in Italy. Um, <laughs> uh, some of his earliest appearances are just, you know, videotaped live plays that he's in. Um, so uh, I'll let you start off with your absolute favorite roles of him. Everyone's got their favorites. 
Well, I figured I'd mention this since I have this as my cover today. It's Nick of Time. This is okay, the one nice. introduced me. Well, not introduced me to him, but this showed me showed him as a villain for the first time, at least for me. Yeah, and yeah. I'll say this because it's kind of scary in this one when I was a kid. Cause... Yeah, critics gave him some serious shit for being in this particular one, but I thought it was interesting because, I mean, he hadn't really done anything. Well, he was starting to do a lot more of that at that time, you know, Last Man Standing, a bunch of mm -hmm. other stuff, and kind of through the early parts of the 2000s before kind of going back to a lot of amusing indie comedies and uh, gangster spoofs. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but yeah, no, that's interesting how you you mentioned that. It is kind of just like you you really don't know what's he's gonna do next because you really he's kind of got a huge enough resume. He can do anything he really wants to at this rate. But at the same time, I mean, I'm kind of waiting for him to do another reunion with someone who's you know used him quite a lot. Abel Ferreira, you know, Tim Burton. Woody Allen, oops, yeah, no, that's not happening. It's a scene if anyone's paying attention. <laughs> uh, it's really, you can't even escape them. It'll virtually every channel, you know, satellite, cable, regular antenna channel is playing a movie that he's in at some point, you know? Turner Classic Almost Movies movie, much. will play an obscure movie he's in, like, Something stupid like Brainstorm. Which... Oh, yeah, I forgot about Brainstorm. Everyone's going to get used to cyber. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. That's all I can say. Thing. Oh, God. <laughs> Even if he's pretty weak in a movie, he, I kind of, it does kind of bring a William Shatnerness to it where it's like, yeah. I kind of want to see it, even if he's playing to the camera or overacting. He just has that about him. Um, I, I've heard people talk about the Alien film Communion as being a very goofy movie, and he's. I've heard that too. <laughs> just everybody mentions how his acting is both unusual and easily the most attention-getting part of it. <laughs> oh God. I well, I know what I can mention is, I'm sure I'll mention this now, the scene in True Romance, which I always remember, the Sicilian scene with him and Dennis Hopper. Right. And to come off of, you know, Abel Ferreira's stuff and then into, you know, that stuff, you know, with a Tarantino script with the, and one of the, basically the first time Tony Scott uses him. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Like you say, he the way he just holds that gun and he's playing off a of Hopper, who he co-stars with a lot, and uh, flat out just takes all that unusual dialogue and makes it work. Yeah, he totally hits home. And it's funny when you watch the behind the scenes of that, because you can tell he's like unsure how to use the gun. And he has to ask semi, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I he's so used to having everyone else do his dirty work. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, the humble coward. <laughs> he at least watches the guy who's getting killed, even though he's not carrying it out. Yeah. So, uh, I would definitely say he has a Christopher Lee to him. Even when he's on the verge of just kind of really just 
walking and talking, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it's not hard to, you know, but I mean, even he plays against himself, even a few different times, like with a prophecy for the most part, even Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. even though most people doing an impression of <laughs> walking will eventually mention the infamous line in Pulp Fiction. So it's just like, um, <laughs> I, I do that. I don't remember him in Ants, but I'm sure someone remembers well, him. I remember, I remember him in Ants. Okay. <laughs> I guess he was the best part of that. Um, yeah, him and... Uh, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people who kind of only know, who didn't watch enough movies, but basically definitely knew him from all his Saturday Night Live appearances. But I've oh, even yeah. encountered other people who constantly we have mentioned uh, knowing him, get this... They'd start out mentioning Sleepy Hollow, and then they'd mention Blast from the Past and Joe Dirt. I was like, really? What? (laughs) But Joe Dirt, I can understand, because that was actually my first introduction to him. Really? Okay, Mm -hmm. so that that is a common thread I'm seeing here. First thing I saw him in was definitely either The Rundown or Kangaroo Jack. (laughs) Well, Kangaroo Kangaroo Jack was actually after I saw him and Joe Dirt. So I saw that in the theater. So... (laughs) And that's not in ca- counting parts of Batman Returns. I did, it took me a while to realize that's Christopher Walken. I just thought that guy was weird. I'm like, oh my god, the makeup and everything. <laughs> oh god, I could talk about that all day. How miscast it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have friends who are fan- fans of him. And they're like, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> this is just London monologue. Yeah. I rewatched The Deer Hunter uh, last year, and I gotta say, great movie. We'll never watch again. It's just so nope. exhausting. But, I mean, it's so unrecognizable. It's hard to believe that that is mm-hmm. the Christopher Walken. You know, it's like so athletic in that movie, so subtle in how he approaches, you know, the still mill worker, uh, you know, evolved mm-hmm. into grizzled violence and war games. It's like, um, and who can't, can't even stop playing Russian roulette. Just for money. <laughs> yeah. I will say deserving of the Oscar. At oh, least totally. Dad, catch me with you can were the awards we were seeing noticing for him. Mm-hmm. I'll admit, he should have gotten an award for McBain. Because <laughs> 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 that was him returning to Deer Hunter fame. Yes, it's a stupid ass movie, but it's also a great Christopher Walken movie. <laughs> he seems to definitely mainly appear nowadays just yeah with throughout his career he just often will co-star alongside uh, William Defoe, Steve Buscemi, Jennifer mm-hmm. Bills um and I, I'm, a, I'm actually surprised I'm not up to par with a lot of his recent stuff uh I don't remember him at all playing a prison warden in the Jesus roles but that's okay I just <laughs> Go on right by that. I didn't see Nine Lives because the trailer was just so bad, but I know he's a mad scientist and it was like the worst comedy of 2016. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it either. Actor of Men in Black from producer Luke Besson, who hasn't had a hit. Kevin Spacey, who's you know, <laughs> now <laughs> blacklisted. Um, I know he's in a movie with De Niro, another common co-star called The War with Grandpa. I'm Yeah, I know. That. That. I know. Plenty of people who've seen that. Well, at least now they have. <laughs> and Not good. They're basically telling me he's the best part of the movie. 
There you go. I am looking forward to Percy. It's a movie by Clark Johnson, Homicide fame, but I was so confused by it because it's like, where is it playing? Oh, it must be on the festival scene and it's delayed due to COVID. (laughs) I just saw a trailer a few days ago for that one. So there you go. It's picking up. Um, Yeah. um, And Wild Mountain Time is an upcoming one. Oh, yeah. That's the one everyone's blasting is having very unbelievable Irish accents. <laughs> Which one was that? Uh, parent, uh, yeah, that, uh, friends, friends of the show, what were they thinking, have noted upon it and did their best. Oh, best. that one. forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused with Rocky Mountain Way. Right. I know. <laughs> He's apparently a voice in the Jungle Book. Oh, God. So, Sue me. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I saw the book. He he actually sings. I'm not even kidding. I still oh. remember that in the theater. That was not fun to watch. Is it even worse than the, his take on Captain Hook in that live uh, Peter Pan live? <laughs> That's better than way it was in Jungle Book, at least to uh, me. I mean, at least you know that had a stupid <laughs> TV budget. I know he appears in the Turks and Caros um, uh, third part uh, to page eight uh, with Bill Nighy. I haven't seen that yet, guys. I've only seen the first part of that awesome PBS uh, special. I do think it was interesting how he was in the Sarah Plain and Tall movies and got Emmy recognition for that because him and Glenn Close, you know, were already big, you know, TV or movie big screen names. And there they Mm -hmm. are. I know he did an obscure TV movie with Lorraine Bracco called Scam, and I remember him saying, I've never seen it, but all I know is I'm inside the actress. If I did, I don't remember seeing it. But <laughs> it's just so funny how on Inside the Actor's Studio, that was like the only movie he had a regret about making it. And it wasn't even necessarily that he thought it was a bad movie. He just was like, yeah, I just don't think I gave it my all. I just don't think I did it justice. It's like, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you had any regrets. I remember being disappointed uh, by uh, the real true crime uh, uh, prohibition era gangster movie uh, for HBO uh, Vendetta, but I've been meaning to rewatch it because I'm as I became a bigger fan of the filmmakers involved with that one. Hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I really don't think he could go wrong here. I I, I think he should have gotten some award recognition for Seven Psychopaths. Just, <laughs> just for the whole... It even makes the trailer where he says... Um, uh, he's like... He's arguing with Zelkjo uh, Ivanek. He's just like... Eh, what? I'm not going to do what you say. Why? I got a gun. I don't care. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. I did rewatch Stand Up Guys, and it really does stand out way more to me than usual. It it really has a midnight run feel to that whole process, and I do remember my father told me about a hysterical NPR interview with, you know, actor turned director Fisher Stevens, and how hmm. it was basically going to a playground every day working with him, Pacino, and um, <laughs> Alan Arkin every day, and I'm sure it had to be especially because. Um, He's organizing the story and, you know, dealing with personas and then making sure, you know, the movie's actually making sense and gelling. Um, 
I think it's interesting. I would have thought he would have appeared more often with Steven Soderbergh just because he's been in just so many Indian films. But, you know, I've been mistaken. Like, as close as he gets is with the Ocean's Eleven-inspired movie, uh, Pool Hall Junkies. I don't know if you remember seeing that one. No, I never even heard of that one. <laughs> uh, let me see. Wow. I could have sworn fucking George Clooney was in that movie. Probably got mixed up with a different movie. <laughs> there were so many uh, heist comedy movies around the 2000s. This is like. I know. <laughs> all the ghetto sometimes. <laughs> yeah, full hall jack. Yeah, whatever. It was really a nothing role for him, but he kind of made it better just by being in one scene. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting mixed up with a different movie that George Clooney's in. That wasn't Ocean's Eleven, but was also from 2002. But I'll probably rewatch again just because Charles Palm and Terry, Allison Eastwood, and Glenn Plummer and Anson Mount are in it. So <laughs> it's one of those movies that ends up in like a 10 DVD pack, you know, Anchor Bay. <laughs> uh, that's probably worth seeing that somewhere. <laughs> right. Uh, I saw it like on 2 a.m. on Spike TV. So there you go. Um, uh, it is interesting how he did kind of just—he did both quantity and quality. He would star in a bunch of stuff every year, and it wouldn't matter. He's like, "Yeah, I've seen him in everything this year. He's awesome. <laughs> he, he's in Nick of Time and Things to Do in Denver and The Prophecy and Search and Destroy and Wild Side, all in '95. So he yeah. is tied with Banderas as having the most movie credits." And that doesn't include makeup artists or stunt people or porn stars. <laughs> <laughs> this is Banderas, and he has the most movies. I count it. Two, three, four, five, six. Yep, six. Yep, six. <laughs> also like Banderas, six movies in 95 alone. Uh, yows! <laughs> um, I find it even funnier how he's been in so many other movies I can easily kind of think in my mind, at the back of my head, where, yeah, I, th I can see him being in that, but I don't really actually remember him being in that. I, a lot of people will tell me he was like the best part about Excess Baggage, the movie that killed Alicia Silverstone's career along with Batman and Robin. <laughs> but I don't remember him and Benicio del Toro in that movie at all. And I, I, ironically, I don't even recall it being that bad of a movie, just an average, mediocre, watchable, stupid movie. <laughs> I've always heard about it. I've just never seen it. So. Yeah, I, I think it came on TV as it used to. It was their 5 a.m. movie. <laughs> I'm but not surprised. There you go. Uh, he's been in a lot of other stuff with John Totoro and um, Jeffrey Wright. Um, I what's funny is I used to get Kiss Toledo Goodbye and The Opportunist, these two other obscure dramedies he's in mixed up but they're actually not the same movie but i remember toledo was pretty stupid had like michael rapaport and the opportunist was actually pretty watchable there's even a kick-ass trailer for it on one of those i think it's artistry home entertainment uh movie dvd packs um hmm. i don't recall him in mouse hunt at all uh i think he was surprised cameo mouse hunt no, so there you go yeah i don't remember him in that at all and i seen that stupid ass movie a few different times on tv but unfortunately <laughs> i remember a lot of people saying why was he in wayne's world 
why wasn't he in Wayne's World One and he had got to be in Wayne's World Two? <laughs> yeah, he was completely incredibly wasted there. You know? <laughs> uh, he's done some obscure Italian stuff that I think is on DVD, but you gotta hunt it down. Um, I don't recall him in Mistress at all, but I recall that being an interesting movie. Um, I, I always, I always remember him as the Headless Horseman in Sleepy Hollow. So there you go. Uh, of all the, the just, that, just that image alone. Hell, <laughs> you as a kid. <laughs> there you go. Ray Park's body for Christopher Walken's head. So there you go. Exactly. Uh, uh, Suicide Kings. He definitely easily owns because he goes from being victim to uh, kind of having the upper hand, even though he's the one being taken hostage. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a one-time watch, though. It is a movie that. It's increasingly less funny as it goes on, and I get that it's a dark comedy and it's a Tarantino knockoff, but uh, after a while, it becomes a real chore to kind of get through, even though it's very watchable. Um, very true. Uh, I'll have to rewatch Touch, but I do like how he's worked a few different times with Paul Schrader. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to remember, I remember him in Stepford Wives. <laughs> I. Fortunately, if I saw that, I don't remember it. Um, That's probably a good thing because I don't think it was bad. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I think Abel Ferreira really does kind of just show a different side to him. I mean, King of New York, I didn't take a liking to it instantly when I saw it, but now I can honestly say it is definitely one of the best gangster movies of the 90s. Oh, definitely. Um, with an all star cast. But um, I've tried rewatching The Funeral a few different times. And I don't know, I can never get into that one. And I might just have to just force myself to sit down and just watch it again. Because some movies just get better when you just supply yourself more. And, I mean, come on, it does have Isabella Rossellini, Annabelle Scora, you know, Benicio Del Toro and Chris Penn. But, I don't know, I have just not, <laughs> I have failed twice. So, I might just have to just apply myself, and only for a third time will I be able to say, yep. <laughs> it is or isn't for me, but uh, yeah, what can I say? Um, yeah, I mean, I think he just he's one of the few to just kind of blend cult status with uh, just easily recognizable status. Um, just various people know him from enough things. I mean, multiple decades. To where it's okay if you, I mean, it's what, it, what Percy seems to be, uh, be a hot item right now in the indie film scene, and uh, I'm sure it'll take off. Does it have an IMDb score yet? 6.8. Okay, so it's a biography hmm. about a Canadian farmer going after a giant corporation. So, yeah, there you go. That's kind of a throwback to the Malagro uh, beanbag war. <laughs> Yeah. Earlier movie he has a brief role in. Yeah, he's got some IMDb um, stuff that's pretty favorable. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he'll always have, I think it also helps that he always has at least like three movies each decade that everyone likes. I remember Fodder Figures got devastated by critics and yet it had a high audience score. A lot of people were like, oh, it's a fun, you know, crude comedy, like horrible bosses, you should see it. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen that either. But, I mean, 
And I have seen some of his other comedies that I know some people like or some don't, like Balls of Fury, which <laughs> oh my God. Oh, Balls of Fury. Yeah, I, d- I recall finding that pretty lame when that came out, but I warmed up to it a little afterwards, but there's still a lot of missed opportunities in that. Like, why do you have Aisha Tyler in there? And she's not really funny, but I can see where the Reno 911 guys were going with it. Like, George Lopez does start out being pretty funny doing his best Scarface impression. Then after a while, it's like, okay, just shut up. <laughs> it was funny the first time. It's not funny anymore. But, yeah, I think he was definitely the best part about that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the musical he did, I'd say, was Harold's Parade, which I remember that. Seeing that yeah, movie. I remember my mom saw that with my sister in the theater, and she was like, it was very unusual seeing him in that. He was kind of good. <laughs> She usually doesn't like his movies. Um, yeah. Uh, so fodder figures as a B minus. Yeah, I'm still seeing this. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to because I that uh, trailer cut me off any day over Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes. And see, that says a lot because I do respect Metacritic because they're actually going in and actually reading the thing and gouging whether it's like a sixty out of a hundred, you know, uh, forty out of a hundred based on the editorial and it was like Rotten Tomatoes will often more often than not list the same review or miscount it. It's like, uh, I thought you counted that as a good review versus it's like, you gotta get, you can't just go one or the other. There is an in between and Metacritic at least acknowledges Mm -hmm. that there's going to be movies where you just don't know. It was well acted and the plot just lost me. So it's a 50 out of a (laughs) hundred. Some of those that are rotten turn out to Ends up being fresh for no reason. You know, they should be rotten. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm like, how the hell does that work? And, and Rotten Tomatoes, I mean, they definitely keep getting in trouble because they keep even changing up the scores for movies that did not score back, well back in the day and mixing it with the new reevaluated ones. is like, well, yeah, no wonder <laughs> you don't have a coherent consensus. <laughs> Always read the user score. Although, I said before, thanks to some people on Twitter also, talking about what they said about Man on Fire. Speaking of walking. Oh, yeah. John Creasy, he's painting his masterpiece. And he's like, oh, well, I remember what the critics said there. They're like, oh, this movie loses itself in the second half because it becomes... Are you kidding me? I'm like, Uh, come on. (laughs) Same fuckers who were down with Death Wish and... (laughs) It just reminds you how Taken was like generally considered a good movie on most movie review sites, and yet there were just so many people who were just like, "Oh, this is an irresponsible movie." It's like, yeah, it probably is if you take movies that seriously. But oh my god, that's the pretentious people they are. That's what I call them. If it's in the movie, I don't consider it a matter of fact. <laughs> exactly. Now, if it's trying to be realistic, like every other Christopher Walken, oh. Now Nolan movie, then yeah, then then we're gonna hold it to a higher standard. But then there's yeah. gonna be some people who are like, "Oh, I can do no wrong. It blew my mind." Oh <laughs> uh, yes, he can. I'll just say that. Oh I god, <sighs> we won't go there right now. I know you can YouTube a hysterical scene. Well, not hysterical, just a poignant scene from the boxing movie Homeboy, which he's in with Mickey Rourke. <laughs> That's another one I can't remember. I think I finally saw it. I think you can even find the whole fucking thing on YouTube, but yeah. 
he's a he's a crooked promoter encouraging him to fight, and yet he's coming off as a brother. <laughs> uh, I do kind of like how the Deer Hunter kind of makes his 80s career for a while when he's not starring in just some all-star cast ensemble movie and some horror films. He That's kind of his niche, just being a soldier. So if you d- don't have McBain, which definitely looked like it was made in the 80s and it just came out in 91, then you got <laughs> Deadline, which is also known as Witness in the War Zone. <laughs> Just talking about the Lebanese Civil War. And that's another one which is kind of average, but also decent at the same time. And yet, he definitely made it captivating just as the war journalist when that was just a thing. Um, he's also in, uh, I guess, Last Embrace could count. You know, that's a Manchurian candidate kind of movie. He's playing one of the friends of the war. Yeah. Um I think they even say in Pulp Fiction he was like a soldier, so he's got a theme that I think is funny. Um, he doesn't do too many direct-to-video movies, so that's interesting, because almost everyone sinks at some point. <laughs> yeah, so usually for most point. Other than making a cameo as a journalist in All-American Murder and, yeah, Prophecy 2 and 3, he, he kind of avoided direct-to-video for the most part. Um... I do kind of think the addiction is underrated because that's kind of blending the New York uh, crime scene while having a very realistic someone, you know, becoming a vampire premise. And, you know, that was another one he did with Anvil Scora and Abel Ferreira. And it's also kind of a who's who of the Sopranos and the Wire and Oz. Yeah. (laughs) The pre pre HBO TV show, uh, but age, but. Uh, yeah, um, I think that's a very underrated vampire movie because it just showed you is like you didn't have to be pretentious like Anne Rice, you didn't have to be even Lost Boys or Blade and stylish and over the top, or uh, yeah, you know, it, you just could have just someone going mad and just becoming lost in their world and filming it in black and white and it actually serves a purpose instead of ah, you know everybody's doing it, it's a throwback. <laughs> Yeah, like some of the movies, they try to do that nowadays sometimes. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I can understand Alexander Payne doing it with the one Bruce Dern movie. I can't understand anyone else doing it. Like, uh, I don't know why you filmed in black and white. <laughs> because, well, artists, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> I do recall. So, yeah. Out of all the current movies I've seen... I think One More Time was a kind of mediocre movie where he acted alongside Amber Heard. I don't recall him at all in Jersey Boys, probably because I was just like, yeah, uh, Clint Eastwood, musicals are not your thing. <laughs> Good music and dancing, but uh, I'm sure the play was way better than what I'm just seeing on screen. That's what I've heard from a lot of people that have seen the play. Uh, yeah. Power of You was a pretty pointless all-star cast crime movie um which i knew existed until a few years ago no there you go i just saw it out to me i saw one lazy night on stars and i was like this is barely a movie um he's playing a hobo who's going around speaking advice Mm -hmm. he's apparently in eddie the eagle i don't recall him in this movie (laughs) 
Who did he play? Oh my god. Obviously, I remember Taron Egerton and Hugh Jackman, and that was directed by Dexter Fletcher. God. Yeah, he knows that, so I can't say. <laughs> I think the family thing was kind of interesting. It was a movie Jason Baseman directed and co-starred in with Nicole Kidman, just kind of a strained family getting their shit together. Uh, he has a brief minor role in Kill the Irishman, him and Vincent D'Onofre, and it's kind of amusing. Um... Although I hate how the poster just flat out lied. It's like, no. Uh, often if you're the second closest person on the poster, you you have a, a key role. And it's like, no, he doesn't have all that much screen time. <laughs> um, he definitely was the best part about Envy, a stupid comedy, which I actually... Am oh, not, God. I'm not going to lie. I did kind of find that funny, even though it was very mediocre in parts. <laughs> it was way better than I thought it was going to be. Everyone was like, Razzie winning. It was like, but... I mean, even Roger Ebert went hard on it. He's like two out of four. He's like, the movie's funny, yes, but not really funny enough. <laughs> oh, wow. Audience gave it an A on Cinema Score. <laughs> I still remember I saw him pop up in the country videos. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping to go this episode without mentioning it. But, oh, well, you kind of have to, at least. You're right. Briefly. <laughs> I didn't want to, but... It's all good. Oh, damn. I forgot about that thing. And that was torture. I was forced to sit through that thing. Oof. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, so... <laughs> get this. <laughs> Envy. Uh, the Razzies nominated Ben Stiller for Worst Actor for Envy. But he lost to George W. Bush in Fahrenheit 9 11. <laughs> oh, it doesn't really count, but that's fucking funny. <laughs> oh, he's definitely the best part about Jiggly. Pacino overacts way too much. I mean, oh, yes, yeah. he gets points for uh, shooting someone in the head, let alone an actor who always plays the scumbag being the one who gets shot. But I mean, come on. I mean, Christopher Walken's talking about, I think, getting ejaculation on your hair or some bullshit. I was like, yeah. I don't know what he's talking about. Come, put it on your hair. It's nice. I'm like, what? Uh, did he monologue that shit? <laughs> Please he tell me he did. doesn't actually think that. <laughs> I bet you he did. God. I still think that shouldn't have directed that should have ended that director's career. Yeah, Marty Bress is a great dude. He should have at least done another wacky movie. And but who knows? Maybe someone, I don't know, was it co-funded by actual mobsters who <laughs> were the inspiration for the movie? What what happened? Did he get I don't to know. Make him, did he get blackballed? Did he just say, fuck Hollywood? I've been putting up with your shit for two decades. I'm done. Cinema <laughs> uh, Woman in Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, we're enough trouble. That's it. <laughs> That's it. And Midnight Run. Right. Yeah, yeah. Countless... I got fired from war games. <laughs> I will admit, uh, I did enjoy the uh, robbery movie, The Maiden Heist, which he was in with William H. Macy and uh, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and I know a lot of people just only saw the trailer, and, let alone the memes they made of Morgan Freeman with cotton candy when he was out filming. Oh, and, and they're like, it's probably the best part of the movie. And I actually saw it, and I did think it did a pretty good job, even though it was still pretty unremarkable. It was hardly... 
I mean, there's at least enough wackiness to it to at least make it. I think you'll at least watch it three more times when you're just in a very uh, straightforward mood. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh God! My mind. <laughs> Fade to black. Oh God! I think I did see Fade to Black. That was a weird. It was a better idea than it was an actual movie. I think. <laughs> Talked about so many shady, you know, McCarthy era type stuff or some shit. Let me look. I might be thinking of a different movie. Am I thinking of the right movie? Another one I've always heard about is At Close Range. Oh, yeah. That's definitely a good one. I just never to watch that. Nope, I'm mistaken. I have not seen Fade to Black. I'm getting it mixed up with a different movie. The, I think I'm thinking of The Missing Person with Michael Shannon. I'll have to do an episode on someday. I don't recall Click, and that's okay. Why would you want to remember? Yeah, I remember, I remember Click. Oh. So, <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> oh. Once again, he's the best part of that movie. Oh, so there you go. Um, I definitely never saw Undertaken Betty. That was a British movie he did with Alfred Molina. Naomi Watts. Wow. <laughs> How did I not see this? It just looks like a Tarantino type <laughs> poster. Um, Let's see. Uh, so, DVD talk is less enthusiastic. Kind of a mess. Not really all that funny. Still feels barely recommendable thanks to a colorful cast of true characters. Variety says a near miraculous balance between the silly and the morbid. An enjoyable and entertaining cast, even though it's unlikely to bury the competition. <laughs> so, a typical like it or hate it crime comedy. Yeah, as usual. Some of those. Wow. A woman whose husband is cheating on her and Undertaker, who's been in love with her since her childhood, decide to fake her death so they can be together. Yeah, that sounds like a wacky movie. Mm hmm. 6.6 out of 10, so someone liked it. Hmm. <laughs> I recall him getting some attention for Scotland uh, PA, but I don't recall really getting into that one, even though it was Shakespeare-inspired. Well, I, uh, I know it's not like a film role, but I always remember the music video he was on. <laughs> Bad Boy <laughs> Slim. My, my Aunt Lauren loves him so much she used to i think have that as like a wallpaper or something or just one once a month she would just randomly just share the video just because she liked the song and the video so much just like mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of cool that he's actually dancing and he is a pretty cool dancer kind of like john travolta <laughs> except i do actually want to see him dance on like you know travolta <laughs> it's like all right dude kind of getting up there in age um when trying to prove um it's kind of interesting how I would have thought he would have worked way more with Sidney Lumet, but yeah, no, only just the, as the kid in the real life uh, crime story, the Anderson tapes. So that's wild. I do recall some people saying they checked out the 1977 horror film, The Sentinel because of him. Oh, I've heard about <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting as a movie overall. Yeah. It just actually just flat out blasted at the time. The director of, 
death wish is involved and then other people start coming to it after a while saying it's not actually bad despite ca- trying to capitalize on rosemary baby and the exorcist <laughs> and oh, other people still stick to their guts they're like no i walked out of that back in the 70s so awful oh <laughs> uh, the one scene i always remember him from especially from that year is of course the one scene in annie hall that it's just so weird, but yet right. so well. That's basically the main scene that everyone remembers him from that definitely made everyone remind him, hey, he can do comedy. Um, I really got to say, I think he kind of carries the dead zone. I'm sure he does. I haven't seen that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the TV show kind of definitely popularized it more. It was The show itself wasn't exactly mind-changing, but it was just kind of more interesting in that you know monk and stargate mm-hmm. kind of just being filmed in canada and having x-files kind of mystery stuff uh, jeffrey bohm oh yeah that's right briscoe county and indiana jones free so i mean it was taught for a while but i just kind of recall it just kind of being a one-time watch it's just so fucking depressing but yeah he pennies from heaven definitely has to be one of his best roles just so expertly staged by herbert ross and yeah, you know, <clears throat> what can we say? You know, the cast that is, you know, Bernadette Peepers. Ugh, I cannot speak today. Bernadette Peters, everybody. Jessica Harper and Steve Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and it lost on Golden Pine. Come on here, people. Yeah, the screenplay is kind of loose, but it's definitely one of the more accessible uh, just dramas. Even though it's listed as a romantic drama, I don't really consider it that. I mean, jeez. Hmm. So much wrong sauce here, people. It was a box office bomb. Should have re-released it. Made its money back. <laughs> I guess they were too afraid to. That's my guess. Uh, I don't like Herbert Ross. <laughs> oh. That's right. I forgot he was in Wedding Crashers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely the one my martial arts buddies, Manny and to- and Cloyce quoted the most for whatever reason. They just remember him from that one a lot. <laughs> definitely they'll remember Nick of Time, Last Man Standing, or even Pulp Fiction. But for whatever reason, they just that one stands out. But I was glad I did rewatch Things to Do in Denver because I'm the man with the play. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. He's still basically in Pulp Fiction. Um... <laughs> just more or less yeah true romance mode and yet it doesn't have anything to do with tarantino but i like how you know there wasn't any rumors of his health ailing or anything he just took that on that was pretty risky and he could have easily become you know the rumor of i'm i'm only on here for a day or two it's like no he he wasn't that guy he's like i'm gonna keep just playing all these loony you know new jersey characters (laughs) Mm mm-hmm it walks up time. Home, the little screen time he has. Right. And it is kind of funny. Nick of Time is one of those, it really depends on who you are. I have seen so many people violently hate that movie. And I've also seen um, some people say it's just one of their favorite 90s thrillers. I, it just was always, to me, just a commonly shown on USA Network. I never thought it was life-changing, but I do recall many people who saw shows like uh, 24, just kind of know how it was kind of making use of the real time, and yet, at the same time, really didn't. 
<laughs> there's plenty of moments where it's like, yeah, sometimes already it overlaps. It, so I think it was just a movie with troubled productions or just not as inspired filmmakers. So I don't know. <laughs> I've never had an issue with it, but I'm not going to speak for everybody. I know plenty of people who have hated that movie since it came out. <laughs> oh, yeah. This, you know, this, like I said, some people who are big fans of it, like me, who find it to be very underrated. So, well, you know, especially out of all the earlier Johnny Depp roles before he just got oversaturated in drugs and women and, you know, Jack Sparrow, you know, it's like, no, with that one, I think it, if you were to ask most people nowadays, they either haven't seen it or they come around to liking him in that. And even the, it's not hard to find a streaming platform that carries, you know, <laughs> uh, 21 jump street. And, yeah. They've seen the deleted scenes from him in Platoon. I mean, they even made an action figure of him. So uh, this brings me to my next stage, getting back to, to another weird actor who we all kind of like, and that is Walken. Have they done an action figure of him? <laughs> in any way. Maybe they've done a Max Zorin one for James Bond, but I don't think they've done no. any kind of Christmas no. Walken. Well, let me see. <laughs> no, that's a good question. Let's see. Looking at up. Walking action figure. <laughs> Not action star, I mean action figure. There we go. Oh, what do we got here? Yeah, okay. I'm seeing a King of New York action figure. I'm seeing a Fat Boy Slim standee. And I'm seeing a Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> and I'm seeing some custom scales. <laughs> So yeah, that was by McFarland Toys when they were doing the movie maniacs for various horror icons. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Nice. So nice. Uh, the Swiss Toys was the one that did the King of New York action figure. Nice. That's a pretty damn good. <laughs> That's an awesome figurine because that could literally. That looks almost like his true romance character. I was about to say it does look like his <laughs> romance character. Let alone it could even just look like Max Zorn and James Bond. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, Chris Walken is basically he. What has he done? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, he hasn't fallen so off the line where he's like, ah, man, there's just so many of his movies I just can't watch. Uh, countless people can make lists about his their favorite performances from him because he just. Some people just the weirdness is what draws you to him, and he's definitely one mm -hmm. of them. <laughs> the quirks, <laughs> his mannerisms—that's what we love so much. <laughs> Each time. Uh. Uh, so. Uh, I think if you were to rank like your main besides headless horseman, like just what's the first role that just comes to you and you're just like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I could watch that scene all day. <laughs> I mentioned before, well, the two I mentioned before, which was his character in True Romance, just for that one scene alone. <laughs> quotes and Mr. Smith in the good time. I always. Talk about 
anytime I bring up Walken. That's the two sure. I always bring up every time. Interesting. Yeah. Um, he's just done so much that it's really hard for me, but I mean, even though he has the most, one of the most quoted lines in Pulp Fiction, I would definitely probably, I've just kind of come a little around to King of New York and obviously as bad as that James Bond movie is, I could definitely watch a scene and probably be intrigued by it. I love the first prophecy and mm-hmm. it is kind of cool that he gets to act off <laughs> Eric Robertson part two, but um, uh probably even more so i mean <laughs> uh, i i definitely love seven psychopaths it's just uh I, it's my go-to quotable movie now and i mean I, I could probably yeah do true romance but if you had to strip away um just any of the gangster stuff i, I could definitely even though it's still a crime role, it's mainly just a musical role and the gangster role is an occupation. I, I, I could, I think everyone should just YouTube his segment and <laughs> uh, pennies from heaven or one of his moments in the deer hunter. Cause I mean, you do owe it to yourself to see where an actor is at some point. And <laughs> the rundown I think is definitely kind of the most talked about movie of the two thousands and everyone likes him in it. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. even the way he's posed on the camera, he's got a bit of a belly and he's just kind of just posing there with a gun just as a reckless, you know, guy kicking people off their land so he can, you know, <laughs> drill, mm-hmm. baby, drill. <laughs> That's why I'd call his classic villain performance. In a way, it was kind of a better version of Max Zorin. <laughs> it's the same kind of deal. true. Like, I'm going to betray all the guys I'm doing business with and... <laughs> Uh, knock him off at the la- last possible minute and then still just mo- feel like I can monologue my way out of this when the heroes got me at gunpoint. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's always uh, about him in that movie. Yeah. I've never heard a single diva story from him. I know for a while he was like a suspect in the whole, you know, Natalie Wood incident because he, you know, was. Oh, yeah. Robert Wagner's friend and then when it's like there was a 97 interview and he lawyered up <laughs> which I think he just should have not lawyered up because I don't know when you lawyer up you just look suspicious anyway <laughs> and it's like did you forget something and it's like other than that I, I've never heard of, about him being a prima donna or a creep or anything despite <laughs> doing that so well on screen so um yeah. What is your favorite Saturday Night Live appearance by him? Oh, God. Well, obviously, we've got uh, more cowbell. We got more, you know, him talking to the uh, narrator that's... Oh, that's that's actually my favorite one, The Continental. The Continental. and My favorite one from him, easily. That's... And that's one I know people nowadays would try to go... I'm surprised it's only been, like, mm-hmm. seven times i was like i would have thought only seven times last was 08 when he hosted oh man you know it's disappointing honestly when... yeah he was just looking too much at the <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> at the speed camera or something, and just like he does. He's looking at the cue cards. <laughs> and, I mean, I can forgive that sometimes, but when it's obvious, I have to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the Jay Moore episode where he's doing an impression of Chris Walken, but I've, I've, definitely, I've definitely seen Kevin Spacey's one. <laughs> I love that one. That... So, what episode does he do an impression of Fidel Castro? Oh, what was that episode? I forgot. I don't know. But he's Colonel Argus. I think I remember that. <laughs> yeah, Colonel Argus, which I've heard from a lot of cast members that people go up to them and talk about that sketch, which I'm like, really? Now, of all the ones from Walken, that's the one that they want to talk about? I guess it was just unusual, him being the disgraced Civil War I guess. I don't know. But it's interesting. I never thought that. That was a one-time <laughs> thing. And I, I mean, like all the guys you know, who hosted numerous times, I mean, he got, for God's sakes, he got a best of DVD. You know? Which I actually have. Oh, bet. I bet. <laughs> That's how I got introduced to watching him on the show, was watching that best of. <laughs> there you go. So I think that's helped a bit. It just, uh, has he been on Broadway a bunch? I know he did plays back in his early days, but that's luck. On stage. Well, so yeah. First appearance is in 52, said Chase. Apparently did a beheading in Spokane in 2010. So, hmm. and it was by Martin McDonald. One of the McDonald's of Seven Psych Best. So there you go. Um, ah, well, just read he did Fidel Castro. That was in 2000. There you go. <laughs> which was the episode he had more cowbell. Which makes uh, there sense. you go. I would have I would have thought more people would have talked about Castro in that episode. But, <laughs> and this the Blue Oyster Cult parody was just too much. Um, is everybody close to this day? Totally. It's just, you can't go around. Just, there's always, it, it doesn't take long for someone to share a meme or something. I'll show uh, for that. Yeah. He started in 1970 uh, play of Lemon Sky, and then he's done. Wow. He played Romeo in a 68 version of Romeo and Juliet, not to be confused with the 68 movie. <laughs> it's done. He played. The King of France and the Lion in Winter. Man. <laughs> so kind of typical kind of fun stuff. Yeah. Tennessee Williams, Sweet Bird of Youth in 75, playing Chance. There you go. Hmm. That's Tennessee Williams, man. That's some heavy stuff. <laughs> no. So he definitely used the looks for all they were worth back in the day and then just kind of got on with just kind of the humble, you know. <laughs> I mean, he, he can take it to the bank at this point. I mean, no one's going to say no to him appearing in a movie now. <laughs> no, he has that kind of unusual likability. He's not Tom Hanks, but he's also not, you know, some other has-been who everyone liked, but everyone hates working with. <laughs> now, if you have uh, one thing in your movie, you'll be 
well, if you get a chance to try and get him, you're going to beg him to come on. Well, everyone's going to basically be browsing the shelf and is like, you had me at Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, that's what makes me so special in the end. Totally. All righty. So I'm going to let you promote what you're going to probably review on the Action Elite next. <laughs> Just throw them out there, any kind of movie you're thinking of. <laughs> well, already scheduled one, which is... Actually, when we mentioned on our earlier podcast with Jean Renault, 22 Bullets. Woo! <laughs> that's my next one. So sure, look out sure. for that one. I will look for it. It's a pretty general crowd pleaser. <laughs> Jean Renault. Alrighty. Well, that's all, folks. We're fucking tired. <laughs> We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, Dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, please. Yeah, yes. I am the master storyteller yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers, yes. the Google Play, yes. Apple Podcasts, what else? Podbean, what else? Podcast Addict, goddamn, all that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere, worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah. We gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want us here to say, ah, ah, ah. ah. <laughs> good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> you. <Yeah. laughs> no, don't. Don't run the listeners away, Pete. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace.
As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this one. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at twelve years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch movie. this shit at twelve? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's late, it's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. 
Everything I learned from movies With a one last plot holes a gratuitous movie It's time to get busy with your friend Stephen at eilfm.podbean.com Welcome to Who Was She podcast. I'm your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier, Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author, Wendy Heller, and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zeminoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant two podcasts. One is the MacGyver podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson, his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure.
Are you sick of the same old stale podcast? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. We now continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a